Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham. It was a very good day at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday afternoon with Spurs coming out on top, beating Leeds United 2-1. It was a classic game of two halves, but Sergio Regalan and Pierre-Emil Hoiberg made the difference between the sides with second half goals. So... Alistair Gold, as ever, is alongside me. He was back at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for the first time in almost two months since the Aston Villa game. So, I mean, the perfect uh, start to welcome you back to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I almost had to put on a sat-nav to remind me how to get there. It's been far, far, far too long. Um, my first experience of Antonio Conte Tottenham Hotspur, um, it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and we know we're going to go into it in depth, but uh, yeah, probably one of the worst first halves I've seen for a long, long time. But as second halves go, lots of positives for us to talk about. And uh, and Conte himself is fascinating. I think we're probably going to end these podcasts talk just as much about Conte as we actually are the football, um, which is no bad thing. Something different to talk about was we came from a manager who didn't really give us a lot to talk about in that sense. So, uh, no, all good fun and good to see Tottenham kind of getting off the ground and running in the Premier League under content. Yeah, there's plenty to talk about after yesterday's game, but I think we'll start with the first half. <laughs> it wasn't a good first half at all. I think everyone was pretty much expecting, you know, Spurs and Conte to be, you know, going from the very first minute at Leeds, but it was the other way around. Leeds threatened early on, uh, I think Stuart Dallas flashed the shot wide of uh, the target. I think had a net effort prior to that and it was Leeds on top and who looked the most dangerous and they probably deservedly got the uh, lead at halftime with Daniel James at the back post finishing off a great ball in from Jack Harrison and it was very much the same from Spurs as what we'd seen in Nuno's final few games in charge. There was just no... Chances on goal. I think Spurs had two attempts on goal, none on target in the opening 45 minutes. What just wasn't good enough. They had a lot of the ball in decent areas, but again, there just wasn't a cutting edge really. And I think Antonio Conte obviously certainly had a stern word with them at half time. And thankfully, it uh, proved uh, to be the right thing as Spurs did come out on top with a win. I think. Our good friend Andy Ha, who used to work for us, I think he summed it up perfectly with one of his tweets at halftime. I think he said it was uh, good of Tottenham to let Nuno have another game in charge, to be fair. And to be honest, I mean, you could have said watching the team, it was like a, a Nuno performance. Yeah, I mean, it was just kind of everything that's been bad about Tottenham in the last couple of years, really maybe in stretching back to the final months of the Potch reign, there was elements of all of it. There was elements of 
the kind of lack of inspiration of the end of the Poch era. There was some of the performances under Mourinho when he used to name eight defenders in a team and get absolutely slaughtered for it, kind of defensive players. Um, and then, yeah, some of the Nuno stuff was in there as well. And I, I'm not really one for booing the team and things like that. I'm not a massive fan of that, although I understand it. I understand if you've paid your money, you can vent your – I don't so, – I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's not something that I personally don't think I've ever done. Um, But what I would say, I think it served as a bit of a wake-up call because it was really strange. Like In terms of you had Antonio Conte, you know, the stadium announcers, like, welcome to Antonio Conte. And he got this huge ovation at the start of the game. And 45 minutes later, his team were getting booed off the pitch. You know, the honeymoon was well and truly over within 45 minutes. Um, but I do think on this occasion, the booing served its purpose. And I think they went in that dressing room and he probably didn't have too much of a team talk to do. He probably just tactically, you know, he admitted afterwards he tweaked a few things. But I think in terms of the actual thrust of what would have been his team talk about inspiration and passion, all that, he probably just would have said, can you hear that? You know, can you hear what's happening? The fans are just... Yeah, and he said afterwards to us, he said, you know, they were booing and I and I agreed with them. I wasn't happy either with what happened in that first half. Um, and what I would say, and this is something I wrote in my talking points today, and as, again, this comes across as a bit of a, well, quite a slight, I guess, on Nuno Espirito Santo, but it, it's very difficult to kind of put it any other way. You know, Nuno Espirito Santo had his qualities. He had a lot of qualities. Whatever people made of him, you know, he clearly is a coach who can improve players, and he's done that with a lot of players over the years. What I would say, Tottenham at half-time yesterday needed an Antonio Conte, not a Nuno Espirito Santo. And, you know, and anyone that reads myself or listens to me, and you know, on this with you, I'm not someone that ever advocates for people getting sacked, anything like that. I don't like that side of football. But I just felt... At half-time, just watching Conte, his presence and everything about him, he is he's someone that looks to inspire people, isn't he? That's what he does, and he's, he's so infectious, the passion and everything he does. And I think in a game like that, and again, it sounds awful, but unfortunately, it's, this is kind of, I can only say this based on my own interactions with Nuno in press conferences and also us watching him on the sidelines. He's he's a very quiet and unassuming guy. He's very, maybe go as far to say quite dour on the sidelines. He's not someone that you see going mad. You don't see him shouting. There were games when we watch him and he was kind of sitting on the bench, wasn't he? Just a bit like, almost felt like the game passed him by sometimes. With Conte, it's just the complete opposite. The man does not stop moving. It's like he's been like had an electric shock and he's just constantly flying around. Um, and whether that goes for him in the match, constantly uh, shouting to players, tactically telling them exactly what he wants. There was a few times in the first half alone where he brought Harry Kane over and was trying to explain stuff, Son the same. Um, and then obviously we saw the celebrations to the goals. You know, it's quite funny. Hoybier scored the equaliser, completely very much like, come on, crack on, crack on, let's go. We need to score another goal. Conte's on the sideline like he's won the lottery. He's absolutely... <laughs> pumping his fist and jumping onto his staff. It was, it does. And then we saw him like g up the crowd and it's just such a different kind of manager. And, you know, as I wrote earlier, it's not, I'm not saying Tottenham needed a cheerleader. They didn't need a cheerleader on the sideline. But 
to have someone that just has that presence, that aura, that thing that makes you want to play football and be better, um, as well as being a terrific tactical manager as well, it's huge for Tottenham. And this is where I think they can only improve. Yeah, I think going back onto Conte, what we saw from him yesterday, we've all seen it in the past that Chelsea uh, in Milan, the Juventus is an extremely passionate manager and that came across yesterday. Uh, I think there was an instance that it was in the second half when he was actually running after the fourth official because uh, a call went against Spurs. Uh, first half as well, he wasn't happy when Sergio Regalan had the ball in a really good position. Could have played Emerson in, who was free on the right. He was just running into the area and probably would have got a shot away on goal. Instead, tried to reverse pass the cane. Emerson were throwing his hands up. Conte practically turned around in disgust and was yelling towards his coaching staff when that happened. He's a manager who he kicks every ball, doesn't he, with yeah. the team. He's just so up and down and it's great to see. And I think that enthusiasm will rub off on the Tottenham players and the post-match celebrations were great, to be honest. When he was giving high fives to Emerson and Kane, he nearly took their hands off, to be oh, honest. It was literally some of the full, hugs. Yeah, full force. Some of the hugs, hugs on the players. Yeah, and that was every player on the pitch, and that just showed how much that win uh, meant to all. And hopefully they can just really kick on from here because they've got a manager now in place who can take Tottenham places. So it's yeah. going to be really interesting to see over the coming months. The, I, was, I was going to say, did you see, I've seen the footage after we kind of got back from a match of uh, Bergvine and Doherty and they're slightly different reactions. All I would say, I think that's one of those things that's probably going to get blown slightly out of proportion. Looking at the way it happened, look, first off, yes, it's human nature that if you're an unused sub, you're not going to be as wrapped up in a victory. Not everyone's a, a hoibier. Not everyone's like that who is just absolutely 100% about the team kind of thing. There is a little bit of disappointment. But I also think, like, especially the Doherty one, uh, Doherty. I said someone someone told me the other day I'm still saying that name. It's supposed to be Doherty, I think. But, um, yeah, I mean, you kind of watch the way Conte went towards him. It was kind of a bit awkward because Doherty was going in a – a slightly different direction. He kind of gets a hand against him rather than a hug, and it's all very awkward. I think, yeah, I don't think we should probably overanalyze stuff like that. What I would say is just the way he was when he was on that pitch hugging those players, even like watching Hugo Lloris. Hugo Lloris was laughing. Hugo Lloris was like kind of just so re-energized. He was just like, what is happening? This guy is nuts kind of thing, but in a good way. Um, and he's great. You know, he's in great form in the press conference as well. He's really fascinating to, as a journalist, to ask questions of, although we have to be very aware that I think I was third in line to ask the questions in the press conference, and I had about three or four in my head ready to ask. But in his first answer alone, he talked so long, he actually covered all of the points I was going to ask anyway. So you have to kind of think quite quickly, like, oh, rubbish, I've got to think of another question. Um, so that's going to be fun for us, but... Now, he's an engaging personality. He really is. He's got that aura. I think I said that after the press conference. You can just feel that in the room at Hotspur Way. So what he's like for those players. You know, the players can't sit there and uh, just kind of uh, coast. They just can't because they know he's there screaming at them. 
Um, the officials know he's going to be on their back, and that's something, rightly or wrongly, that's what the big clubs do, you know. And I think the fans as well. Even the fans, when they went quiet at 2-1 up, he was on them and telling them, come on, where's the noise? They need you right now. And, um, yeah, it, it's good fun. It was good to be back, and it was um, a really good match to kind of see two very different sides of Tottenham in as well. Before we delve a bit more into the game yesterday, let's start with, obviously, the team selection, as there were a couple of talking points, especially with Oliver Skip Band and then Christian Romero picking up an injury on international duty. I think from Conte's team selection, what he does show, he does listen to Golden Guest top Tottenham because <laughs> I, I did say Jaffa Tanganga would be perfect as a right-sided centre-back if they are going to operate again with overlapping centre-backs, what was very much the case. And then the other big talking point was uh, Winky coming in instead oh, of Skippy. Yep, and that meant Tongi Ondembele was on the bench. I think... Yeah, I can understand why Tanganga started. I said that in the previous podcast, but I, I just feel watching the first 45 minutes that Spurs needed an attack-minded midfielder in there because Hoiberg and Winks were just sitting rather deep, not really having an impact on the game going forward. And, you know, Spurs did struggle and the stats uh, highlight that. Two attempts on goal, no shots on target. So I think that's something that Conte will have uh, spotted and hopefully we will see a bit more of a attack-minded midfield in the coming weeks. But Oliver Skip will be back for Sunday's game at Burnley and no, uh, Conte's got a decision to make. For me, I think Skip comes back in. I think Winks played well in the second half, a lot, lot better than he was in uh, the first 45 minutes. But that's... Uh, one thing coaches want, and that's a bit of a, a selection dilemma, and he's going to have that over the coming weeks. Uh, for you, then, I mean, I know what you're going to say. Tongi <laughs> should have started. Go um, on. Well, no, all I was going to say is, you know, is if um, if Conte clearly does listen to the views of Robert Guest on this podcast, I'd actually say that if he'd listened to my views, <laughs> I think. Although I agreed with the logic behind it and that Tanganga obviously can get up the pitch a little bit more, I actually thought Davinson Sanchez came on and was better. Yeah, I, I agree. thought he came on yeah. really well. Um, I think he's, you know, I know it was only a brief period, but he won everything. Nothing got past Sanchez. He was very, very good. And he's coming off a clean sheet with Colombia as well. You know, I was... Um, I've been intrigued to see how Sanchez works under Conte because I'm one of those who I kind of felt that Sanchez's bad times at Tottenham came when the experienced heads around him weren't really around him, when Vertonga and Aldevera were getting injuries and things like that. And I've always felt that there's a player in there and I've probably maybe supported him when that's annoyed other people that I've kind of backed him. But I just feel that with maybe someone like Conte he could really get the very best Davinson Sanchez out there. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested to see kind of what happens with him. In terms of the midfield, yeah, I thought Winks, I mean, I don't even have to give my opinion really because kind of uh, Conte said it exactly himself. He said he felt Winks really struggled first half. Um, he said, but that he wasn't alone. You know, the rest of the team did as well. But 
second half, I think his exact expression was, you saw his personality come through. Um, and I feel that's fair. Yes, of course, I would have started on Dembele uh, because I still feel Spurs are lacking that creativity through the middle. And I feel we saw Kane having to come deep so many times or, you know, we're going to come to him in a bit, but even worse, especially the first 45 minutes, Lucas Mora was coming into that position where maybe Tongi would normally receive the ball when you'd see him spin around and lose his man. And unfortunately for Lucas, you know, he was getting the ball in situations where he wasn't able to keep it. You know, whether that's because of the amount of people around him, the um, Leeds players, um, or whether it was just poor control, I don't know. But that's the area where Tongi would be receiving the ball. Um I mean, you know, I suppose we could talk about the midfield right now, really. It's probably a nice segue into it anyway. Um, I think I said to you at one point in the match yesterday, it's like there was no midfield in the first 45 minutes. It was such a weird setup. You, I can't imagine. Well, I don't know. Conte did kind of almost indicate that he wanted them to be compact and allow Leeds to have the possession because he didn't feel that would suit Leeds, I think was his idea. Um, but what it resulted in is you had Winks and Hoybier standing on the toes of like Dyer and Tanganga and, and Davies. And they were, with when you've got the wing backs also being quite far back and deep, you ended up like with a 7 3 formation. It was the weirdest thing. And what you ended up with was Eric Dyer playing like a quarterback in NFL, just spraying these long balls over the top, which some of them worked. You know, Ben Davies actually had a chance through one of them. But on the whole, it was just, it was kind of aimless. And then, like I say, you kept getting that ball to Lucas, which, you know, Lucas should not be there. That's of no use to Tottenham. Lucas coming there with his back to goal to try and get the ball. It doesn't do him any favours. It means Muppets like me tweet out how he's losing the ball constantly in the middle. Um, And, yeah, it, it was odd. And I think we saw that second half. He didn't really go into what his tactical tweaks were, Conte, but it looked like the wing-backs were told to push up, get up there, don't sit back. And also, I think Hoybier and Winks were told, no, let's go more man-for-man intensity. Let's not sit back and try and soak up and break. Let's actually get up there. Um, But I think you stick Tongi in there, I do think it links better. But he had that thing, didn't he? He said all that stuff about Tongi when I asked him in the presser um, before the match. And it very much feels like he doesn't trust him yet. And how many times have we said that about managers? It's, uh, you know, it's mad. Yeah, we've said it a number of times. I think whilst we're on the subject of Tongi, I think it is worth mentioning uh, his warm-up in the second half down the touchline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, uh, he was practically walking, wasn't he? He was walking. He was. Yeah. It's just, he was just kind of watching the game, just ambling along. Um and, you know, this isn't to say before, sometimes when we say stuff like this, you'll get Tongi fans, of which I am one. You'll get Tongi fans go, oh, you're victimising It's just the running style he has and it's the way he is. And it's like, yeah, but it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's, it is the way he is. But that doesn't mean that, you know, you watch the warm-up and you see, I think it was Bergvine and... I think Sanchez were there with him as well. Sanchez. And yeah. they were going through the proper warm-up motions. And his Tongi is just walking up and down. And again, this isn't to say he's lazy or anything like that. Um, we were watching him, weren't we, after the game, going putting through his paces um, when they were doing what they do now, which is like the real fitness drills for those who didn't play. 
And he was among the fastest. And he was up and down and hitting every mark on the reaction test and turning, twisting, speeding, sprinting, all of that. But just, we've seen this before, where he just kind of does this funny little amble up the side of the pitch. And that's his kind of warm-up. Um, but which is funny, because he doesn't really get the injuries he used to. So he must be preparing himself properly at some point when he comes on. But yeah, not in that moment. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah, he was probably still knackered from two weeks at the training ground with Conte, absolutely yeah. working him hard. And uh, in the match day programme ahead of the game, there was an interview with Lucas and he gave a bit of an insight into what training has been like. And basically he has been saying it is double sessions, so much fitness work to try get them up to the required levels. Uh, I don't think it's something what's enjoyable, he said, but it's it's needed. And what we saw yesterday in terms of the fitness levels, will, well, actually, I'll go back to the reverse fixture at Ellen Road last season in May when they lost 3-1. The fitness levels just paled in comparison then. Leeds totally outrun Tottenham. Tottenham looked knackered way before the end of the game and that game finished 3-1. It could have been a lot more given the chances Leeds had and Leeds, we all know how good they are in terms of the fitness since Marcello Bielsa's come in. They are so, so good. They're at the top of the Premier League. They just outrun every opponent and I think only one team prior to yesterday had outrun Leeds in the Premier League game this season but then Tottenham uh, did exactly that and they outran them. In the second half, they covered 3.7 kilometres more ground than Leeds. I think overall, it was 112 kilometres compared to 108 from Leeds. So, but even in the first half, weirdly, I, did, I didn't realise until I looked after, even in the first half, it was more than half a kilometre more as a team they ran yeah. than Leeds. Yeah, it was not 0.5 exactly. So... Uh, that just shows you the work Conte and his three fitness coaches have been putting in on the training ground over the past few weeks. I mean, three weeks tomorrow since he was appointed as Spurs boss. So, you know, to outrun Leeds a couple of weeks into your Tottenham tenure when you've had a lot of your players away on international duty, you've had uh, limited first team players to wear with. I think there was about... 11 at Hotspur Way during the international break. Mm. That shows the work the players are putting in and the work Conte's putting in on the training pitch. So that certainly bodes well going forward. And I think he said yesterday in his post-match press conference when you asked him, they're certainly not there in terms of the levels of intensity yet. And that's something they can improve on. So if they can outrun Leeds yesterday... I mean, it, it could be uh, very good once they are at the fitness levels uh, containing his free coaching staff want them to be at. So, yeah, I think that's something what can bode well uh, going yeah. forward for Tottenham. Yeah, it was an interesting one. I asked him about that. He was very much like, um, he was like, yeah, it needs to be more. And he actually admitted he was quite, he was scared because he wanted to use that tactic. He wanted to outrun Leeds in the, and he kind of, I don't know whether maybe that was the reason for the first half setup. Maybe he thought, I don't trust the players are fit enough yet. And I think at half time, he just decided, nah, stuff this. We've got to go to exactly what I want the team to do. Let's outrun them. Let's match them man for man. Let's absolutely go at it. And it was a much better Tottenham. And I think that's because of that. Um, so that was quite interesting, kind of admitting his doubts about their fitness and how much they've been able to do thus far. And, you know, Harry Kane at the end. Oh, my goodness. 
Harry Kane looked shattered. He looked, he was like I saw him like trying to take breath at some points, and he was. It can only be good for him. It can only be good for him. And I felt he was a lot better on the day as well, Harry Kane. I think if you're a Spurs fan and you have maybe been questioning his desire and his hunger to still play for Tottenham, I thought yesterday was a really good game to see that I think he's back in that regard. You know, um, but yeah, fitness, just finishing off on the fitness thing, definitely there's some fitter players than others. I mean, like even Regulon had to be subbed off towards the end yesterday because he was knackered. He just up and down the... Um, uh, roll up and down the left and I think this is where we see the likes of Emerson we were told before he arrived that his fitness was just incredible and I think we're seeing that with him um, but yeah it's all about time now and this is the problem is they've got Thursday night matches all the way up to Christmas there's very little time for him just purely able to have training sessions based on fitness he's going to have to do a little bit like Nuno used to say use the matches as the fitness sessions um, so, you know, we'd imagine there'll be a few changes for Moore on Thursday night. And all of those players are going to have to play an intensive game, really. Whether whether Moore want to or not, I think Spurs are going to have to press and harass and, and just essentially be have that high intensity for the whole 95 minutes. And otherwise, they're never going to get to the levels that make Conte tactics work, you know. Going back to Harry Kane, uh, yeah, I thought he was good yesterday. Probably just the goal missing from his performance looked a lot more hungry. The intensity was there. Really unlucky at the start of the second half. I mean, going on Tottenham's performance in the first half, they literally came straight out of the traps and could have scored within a couple of minutes. Uh, good effort from Kane. Then Melier saved it with his feet, hit the post and went out. But there was... An example later on in the second half where I think Cooper was at his back or one of the other defenders and he just rolled them like the cane of old and he was just unlucky uh, not to get his shot away because he was in such a good position. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, a shame he wasn't on the target yesterday, but I think there's certainly some positives you can take uh, from his performance and then looking at the fixtures coming up, there's Burnley away this week, uh, who they are, Brentford at home, Norwich at home, Brighton away. So there's some uh, a nice set of fixtures coming up to build some momentum ahead of a potential top four push and that's going to give Kane a chance to add to his one league goal and if you can do that over the next four games, then that's exactly what you want from a Tottenham perspective when you're going into big games away at Leicester and then at home to Liverpool prior to Christmas. So, yeah, no goal for Kane, but certainly positives you can take from his performance going forward. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was, um, like I say, he was the playmaker in the first half. He was having to just provide any creativity. Um, it was one he did... Was it first half or second half when he did this really lovely turn? Really yeah. used his strength in the box, but it, it didn't come. I think he may just about got a shot away and the keeper blocked it. Um, yeah, yeah it was on me, Cooper, I think, yeah. Yeah, and that for me was the sign that he's fighting again. And, and let's be honest, and he said it himself, if you can't get yourself excited about Antonio Conte being at Tottenham, you know, I, I don't see as a player what else what else you you need really to get you going because Harry Kane ultimately wants to 
win trophies at Tottenham. That's always been his thing. Um, and you've got someone now who's absolutely his his CV screams silverware and trophies, and that's what he does. He doesn't go to to places unless he's going to win. Um, and I can't see how that doesn't transfer across to Kane. And I, and I think it is. I mean, I was just trying to look to see if I could find because Conte before the game spoke to I think it was Gazetta della Sport. Um, and I just want to see if I can find it because it was a really good quote. That kind of summed up, I think, the relationship that we're going to have with these two guys. Um, I've got it just here, so I can read it out to you. Uh, here we are. He said, uh, Harry's dream is to win with Tottenham. I want to help him. He's a top player. If you tell him something just a minute later, he does it. He has talent, quality. He knows the game and how to score. He's smart. I've seen few like Harry Kane. See, that is a manager who adores the player that he's working with. He will be a player who I think eventually, if not now, will adore the manager he's working with. He will work him hard. But everything I've always heard from people around Harry Kane is that Harry Kane likes to be pushed fitness-wise. It's almost when he isn't, that's when maybe, I don't know, maybe falls into certain ways. I don't know. Um, he's always been one of those guys that's kind of looked after himself. But I, I think it's very difficult to say that the Harry Kane we've seen in the last 12 months is as super fit as he was, So let's say, under Poch. And if Conte can get him back to where he was um, and the hunger does appear to seem to be there and, you know, Spurs could easily win silverware this year. And then that's and this is with full knowledge of what Tottenham Hotspur have always been like. <laughs> but you look at those competitions, you know, the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup, the Europa Conference League, the road to Tirana, as you would call it, is not littered with the most difficult teams in the world, you know, other than a fateful meeting against Roma and Jose Marino, which clearly must come at some point. Um, I think in someone like Conte, I think they've got a really good chance to win silverware. And that's what Kane wants. And then next season, maybe the league is is the utmost priority. Um, although I still think, I think Conte has little ambitions of, of sniffing around that fourth spot still this season. He kind of, after the game, is a bit like that. But if he can get Harry Kane back on the road, back where he was, not the road to Tirana, just the road to, uh, you know, where he was before. Get Son, a little burst from Son yesterday as well, um, just to show that he's starting to find his feet again. We know those two are firing. Tottenham are a completely different outfit. Yeah, they are. Uh, I think one person we need to mention as well from yesterday, the return of Ryan Sessignon on the pitch yeah. for Tottenham in the Premier League for the first time since January 2020. I believe it was the home win over Norwich City the last time he was in league action for Spurs. So really good to see uh, Sess back on the pitch. Made an impact when he came on. Uh, nice header. What led to Son running through on goal and then they put in a decent cross. What I think was just behind its intended target late on. So I think there's Certainly positives you can take from Ryan Sessignon returning to the pitch and as well as it was for Reguillon to score his first Tottenham goal or his second Tottenham goal, if you want to ask Deli Ali and Pierre-Emile Hoibieg as they were alluding to his uh, cracking home goal against Aston Villa. I think that position might suit Ryan Sessignon more than it does Reguillon because Sessignon's proved in his time at Fulham how good he can be going forward he can also defend I think 
there's always been comparisons with Ashley Cole and that's where they see his position in the future, moving back to becoming a top quality left back. He's someone with all the attributes who can be a good player for Tottenham, but ever since he's coming through the door back in August 2019, he's just been hampered by injury after injury. And even this season, when returning from a good loan spell at Hoffenheim, looking to kick on, injuries have again proved costly to him. So it's it's really good to see uh, Ryan Sessignon back on the pitch and Fingers crossed we'll get to see him in action on Thursday against NS Mura. That'd be uh, nice if he could get a start and, you know, really show Antonio Conte what he's made of. Yeah, and I suppose they're going to take it really cautiously with him because they don't want him breaking down again. His hamstring problems have been such a nightmare. I do wonder, it'd be interesting to see whether he's fit enough yet to start against Mura or whether he comes on later on, but... Yeah, it is great to see. I'm not going to go on too much about Ryan Session because I've said it all before. I do think that he is the perfect fit for that role on the left. Um, I also think Matt Doherty could be on the other side as well. I mean, it's, if those two get their chances, I think they're really going to push their claims because they're exactly what Conte needs in those roles. Um, but lovely for Session Lovely to see him um, turn to immediately, really, once he'd got his fitness back, for Conte to immediately not only name him on his bench, but use him in his first match back. Um, another one who got a huge hug at the end. Um, it was great. It was brilliant for his confidence. He actually looked quite bright as well. He put in a couple of crosses that were dangerous, um, and he got up and down that flank exactly how they wanted him to. I think he won his first header as well in a defensive aspect. It was all... It ticked every box he needed. Hopefully... Body-wise, he's absolutely fine after it. No little kind of feelings of um, anything, any twinges in those hamstrings or anything. But, um, yeah, no, I think uh, – I hope we get to see it. I hope they feel that he's fit enough to maybe get an hour or something against Murrah because he needs the games. He needs to work with Conte. And I think uh, hopefully this is the the path back for Sessegnon. We'll move away from the game now. Uh, I think there's another quite a big talking point to discuss this morning, and that's potentially Maurizio Pochettino uh, to Manchester United. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was relieved of his duties yesterday following that 4-1 defeat against Watford at the weekend. I think it's, it's, it was always just going to be a matter of time, really, until Solskjaer departed, given some uh, really bad results of late, notably the crushing 5 0 defeat against Liverpool at home, what really did put him in a bit of a precarious position. So, Manchester United are now on the lookout for a new manager. I think what they've said at the moment, they're looking for an interim manager towards the end of the season. Well, for me, feels a bit strange given there's 26 games in the Premier League still to go. I think there's I think the seven points off the top four. So yeah. much games of the rest of the season still to play to finish in the top four. I mean, they could still have a good run in the Champions League. So it's going to be really interesting who actually takes on that job and reports it today suggesting that Pochettino is open to leaving PSG after just under a year in the job, basically, if Manchester United making an approach for him. And he's someone who has been heavily linked with the job previously, especially when Jose Mourinho lost his position at Old Trafford in December 2018. So it might be one of these where Pochettino will go to Old Trafford 
and become Manchester United manager at some point. I think that's what many expect. It's just a question of when exactly that happens and could potentially um, happen now if United want to make a move for him. Uh, do you think he'll end up there, Ali? Oh, man. Before I answer that really difficult question, I just want to very quickly say, only because uh, people will complain and maybe rightly so, I just want to very quickly give credit to Lucas Moura for the second half. Because probably I think in this podcast, we've only mentioned how poor I think he was, along with the rest of the team in the first half. But actually, second half played a pretty crucial role, really. You know, he um, set up Kane and Son for early chances in that second half. Uh, Obviously, both of them hit the woodwork. He teed up Hoybier, got the assist for his goal. He won the free kick. The um, Dyer hit against the and Regalon smashed home. So, yes, just before the Lucas fans out there say, what are you doing? Because I got a few of those after a tweet saying that he hadn't been particularly great in the first half. Yes, I know he works very hard. And yes, I know he's always offering himself as an option. And that's fantastic. But, you know, that first half, the whole game, I think he had sell-out 64% pass success, which was less than anyone else on the pitch. And that's the one side of his game he's still got to improve. Uh, but there's no taking away from the fact that, yes, he was a big influence on Spurs' improvement in the second half. But, yes, back to Poch, who weirdly is quite a good link with Lucas, isn't it, when you think about the Champions League final and then dropping him and all that sort of stuff. Poch, I think probably a lot of Spurs fans would be utterly devastated if he were to take over at Man U. Um, I would say as a fit, he's far better fitting Man U than any other club he's constantly linked with and even the club he's at right now. I think Man U, um, the whole setup there, the way they want to use their academy, the way they want to build, the fact that he adores Sir Alex Ferguson, they had that very public uh, lunch together and all that sort of stuff. Yes, he clearly is a great fit for Man U, I think. I think they'd have to be patient with him. I don't think he's going to come in there and win them, you know, huge things straight away. I think he needs time. That's how his his job works. Um, yeah, I mean, they've essentially said, haven't they, it's not going to be a now thing. I don't think it'll be something in the summer. Um, I think having an interim manager probably helps Tottenham right now in terms of, I think that keeps United in a state of flux. And, you know, I don't think they probably transform too much from what they were under Solskjaer. Um, but yes, it'd be a funny one because Spurs clearly wanted Poch to come back the summer just gone. I think Poch wanted to come back, but clearly his position at PSG, PSG were never going to let him go. And they kind of extended that option on his contract as well to make sure that it would have been incredibly... I say incredibly expensive. PSG don't have to accept any money. <laughs> they just say, yeah, whatever. Um, and I think, well, there is, I don't even have to think, there is a clear desire from Poch to one day come back to Tottenham and has uh, finished that unfinished business that he's got. Um, I do wonder whether it might ruin some plans that Tottenham might have. You know, if you were going to be slightly cynical about the way the football world works, you know, we said this before, Antonio Conte, his MO is that he works for about two years on the whole at most clubs he's at. Juventus a little bit more. I think it was three years at Juventus, wasn't it? I think It was, yeah. And so maybe Spurs have looked at that and thought, okay, well, maybe in two years' time, then it will be time for Poch to come back. And I think that would take them up to the end of his contract, maybe at PSG. 
I yeah, personally was it an eighteen month contract he signed at PSG with option so. of another and year? So I think in a logical world, is Poch likely to be at PSG in two years anyway? I'd say no. I think it's just such a volatile club and the way everything were. And he clearly I don't think he's entirely settled there yet. You know, there's I said this before, I think that, you know, his family's still living in England because Maurizio, his youngest, is still playing for um, Watford. Uh, and I think he's still living in a hotel as well out in um, Paris. So he's not entirely settled in that role. And it's a very different one. Obviously, you've got Leonardo as a sporting director. And there's been a lot of French reports about how that relationship works or doesn't work. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Poch wants to come back to England. Like I say, I'm pretty pretty sure he did in the summer, um, but right now I can't see it happening as he signs a man new tomorrow or something. But uh, I'd, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised at PSG mainly if they allowed that to happen. They'd have to have someone else lined up, I think, for that. But yes, I think long term he would be very good for Man U, and I think that would be pretty upsetting for a lot of Spurs fans to see him doing what he did. But up the road, well, up the road, quite a long way up the road, up in uh, Manchester. Well, Zidane's been linked with the United job as well. And for me, what probably makes sense to me is Zidane goes to PSG. So I don't think his English is great, is it? So, I mean, would that be the ideal appointment at United? Probably not. And then Poch goes to United. I think Poch to United is a good fit, like you've said. It just falls into place, really, everything they want and what he can offer. So, yeah, that's certainly one everyone from a Tottenham perspective and Manchester United perspective are going to be keeping an eye on over the coming days. I was going to say, isn't there something about isn't there something about Zidane wouldn't ever work for PSG because of his Marseille uh, origins and stuff? I feel that there's something that's been said there at some point. So I don't know whether him to PSG would ever be a goer or not, again, as he gets appointed by PSG tomorrow. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure I remember reading that somewhere. Right. Well, that's one we'll have to keep an eye on as well, see what happens there. So it could be a bit of a managerial merry-go-round. Uh, before we finish the podcast, last couple of minutes, we'll just quick preview on the NS Miura game as Tottenham are back on the road to Tirana on Thursday and you will be heading over to Slovenia. Okay. Whether it's via Austria or not, we don't know yet. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. So uh, I think a lot of people will probably have expected Tottenham to have progressed through to the knockout phase of the competition so far in the Europa Conference League, but that's just not the case after the draw in rent and the defeat away of Vitesse. This is another must-win game as Spurs, you know, need to finish top in the group to avoid having, uh, I think it's a playoff round if you finish second against the teams who finish third in the Europa League. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who goes there in his team. You expecting many changes? It's a really difficult decision. I was, even, I was thinking about this one earlier. They're, they've got to win both games to kind of top the group, really, um, realistically, just to make sure that's how you do it. Um, in which case, the argument would be that you play you know, a stronger team than you would have normally. I mean, the other side of it, obviously, is that he's also 
being very wary of the fitness of his players has got to take into account that going to turf more <laughs> a couple of days after you return from Slovenia is probably one of the most battling games you especially coming after Leeds as well. You know, to go straight into another fight of a match. Um, and, and Turf Moor is a place where, you know, it's always been tight and tough for Tottenham. You know, there's been a few draws there and stuff. It's maybe different when the Spurs are at home, but at Turf Moor, it's, it is a proper battlefield. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know which way he's going to go at this point. There's a part of it that thinks the other players need that fitness if he's going to be using them. But then Spurs, I don't want to say, oh, I suppose you have to, the second string team, as it were, they haven't pushed their claims when they've all played as a unit before. If anything, some of Spurs' European problems this season have come because of that second string team, um, not really doing what they need to do. And obviously, you're unlikely to have, well, no, Romero's suspended anyway, so he's definitely not coming back. Don't know whether Lacelso will be fit. Do you bring Skip straight back into this game? Probably, I'd say. Um, and then, yeah, like we say, you've got the likes of Sessegnon and Doherty. And are they fit enough? Kind of, I suppose Doherty definitely should be. He's been playing international football. He should be fine. Same with Bergvine and people like that. But it's a risk. It is a risk. It's such a weird scenario now. Do you do you play the likes of Kane to keep getting his fitness levels up? Or are you running him into the ground and, and risk going the other way? I don't know. I mean, what would you do? A bit of a, a mixture, to be honest. And I'd have what I wouldn't do is what Nuno did in Vitesse and just take a second 11 and have kids on the bench that you need some experience on there. Like was the case in the home game when yeah. Kane came on and got a hat-trick. I think that's what I'd do. I'd personally, I'd start Kane again. I think Bergwijn comes in. Uh, probably I'd give Sonny a breather and Lucas. Yeah. Uh, who comes in in attack? I don't know. Does it depend on Brian Hill's fitness, given he's, he's had, had a recent injury? Yeah, it's just whether he's fit enough to start from the off. Same with uh, Ryan Sessignon. So, I mean, you could see Deli in an advanced position in the free. Uh yeah, Skip for me comes in, End on Belly, Doherty, Rudden, Sanchez as well. Uh yeah, I think it's got to be a bit of a Yeah, but I think you can get away with it against me. Oh, famous, famous last, last words. <laughs> so yeah, I mean this could come back and uh, bite me. I don't think it will, but Antonio, no, if I... you're listening to Robert Guest, <laughs> let us know this time. <laughs> Yeah, uh, for me, it just have to be a bit of a mixture, really. I mean, on paper, on paper, and we've said this so many oh, times, on paper, this team is good enough to get a job done. But I think Mura have lost all of the games, have they, so far? Maybe. Yeah, I think you might be right. Do you play Winks, do you play Winks and Skip to protect the defence and with Belle ahead of them? Or do you just play Belle and Skip, which... Ironically, against Bur- it was Burnley was dreadful, but then they had one game. Was it against Wolves in the Carabao Cup this season? Yeah, yeah, played well. They together. were really good together. It actually was completely the opposite. So it depends what Conte looks at and what he feels. And I think Ondembele has to start. If Ondembele doesn't start, then it's clearly all. I don't want to say all's not right behind the scenes, but it's clearly he's got to do a lot more than what he's doing to get Conte's attention. But I'd imagine he would start. This is the kind of game, surely, this is the challenge, isn't it? This is like, 
come on, Tongi, you're good enough to run this match. I'll put you out there, show me what you got, and then we'll talk about Burnley at the weekend. Yeah, well, after Burnley, it's Brentford at home and then Norwich at home. So you're as well rotating for this Miura game and then going full strength in, in the others. Premier League's bread and butter at the end of the day and Spurs can win in Miura anyway if they mix things up or not. So, yeah, I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Tot- Tottenham. Uh, hopefully we will be back on Friday to preview uh, the trip to Burnley. What should be fun? Should be an interesting game. Uh, So, yeah, as ever, thank you for listening in. If you'd like to give us a rating and review on iTunes, that would be fantastic. If not, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.